I am a preacher with a pulpit and a microphone and maybe 15 minutes. Um, And so I feel compelled um, to respond to the 17 lives lost this week. Precious lives gone in Parkland, Florida. 17 precious children, siblings, parents, spouses, precious human beings beloved by their families and their friends, gunned down mercilessly by a 19-year-old with an assault rifle. I feel compelled to say something, and yet, as Amy began to pray and cried, like that, I don't feel like I have the words. I don't know what the words are. How could I? How could any of us? There aren't words that adequately respond to the grief and sorrow. In fact, if I'm completely honest with you, I've been a bit numb to it all, and I even just sort of avoided reading about it for a couple of days. Just couldn't quite. It's a defense mechanism, numbness, that's for sure, because to feel the sorrow of it all might crush me, it might demand something of me, and so I stay numb. But I'm aware that numbness isn't just a defense mechanism, it's also a natural consequence of just how prevalent this senselessness has become. It's just the next headline. Not even all that unique or interesting. It's just the next one. How could we not be numb in the face of that? So I stare my numbness in the eye. I hold its gaze. And I speak each name. Each beloved child of God. Senselessly snuffed by a semi-automatic AR-15 this week. Alyssa Aladef, 14. Scott Beagle, 35. Martin Duque Anguiano, 14. Nicholas Dwaret, 17. Aaron Feiss, 37. Jamie Gutenberg, 14. Chris Hickson, 49. Luke Hoyer, 15. Kara Lugran, 14. Gina Montalto, 14. Joaquin Oliver, 17. Elena Petty, 14. Meadow Pollock, 18. Helena Ramsey, 17. Alex Schachter, 14. Carmen Shentrup, 16. Peter Wang, 15. 
yesterday when I finally made myself pay attention to the news. I listened as Anderson Cooper read these names and shared briefly about who each person was. And after each brief memorial, he repeated a refrain. We will remember. We will remember, he said, over and over again. But you know what? I won't. I already don't. Because there's too many names to remember. And this is just the most recent batch. There were already too many names to remember before I ever heard of Parkland, Florida. So I don't know if I intentionally went looking for it, perhaps. But I saw one little spark of hope in the midst of the numbness and the sorrow of this week. And that was articulate, brave, truth-telling Emma Gonzalez, a student survivor of the Florida shooting who called out national lawmakers, gun advocates, and all of us. Demanding courage, she demanded action, she demanded change, and she pledged her own courage and action and change. The words of Emma Gonzalez have pierced me, but they are hers. They are her words, and I urge you, if you haven't heard them yet, to seek hearing them out in her brave voice. I haven't even had a chance yet to say thank you to Mike O'Leary, who I think is here today, but Mike O'Leary, right there, introduced me to a contemporary hymn writer. He sent it to some of the musicians, and I was copied on that. Her name is Carolyn Winfrey Gillette, and her hymn, Lamenting Gun Violence, written several years ago, because there are many opportunities to write a hymn lamenting gun violence in this country. The words of her hymn have also pierced me. They are her words, and yet her words I feel I can claim as my own. In fact, she's given express permission for churches and for those advocating for an end to gun violence to use these words. She has given me words to sing. I cried to God, 330,000, 5,000 more, 600 more, and nine. In just 10 years, a truth we can't imagine. All died from guns, one loved one at a time. And then I heard, whom shall I send to grieve them? Go tell the world, I love them, they are mine. I asked the Lord, why is there so much violence? If you are God, 
Why don't you stop the pain? God, won't you speak? For all around is madness. Just say the word and make us whole again. And then I heard, whom shall I send as prophets? Speak out my truth, shout till the killings end. I knelt and prayed and wept for all the fallen. So many lives, so many dreams now gone. More than a name, each one was someone's cousin, or someone's child, or someone counted on. And then I heard, whom shall I send who knew them to work for peace, to labor till the dawn? Lord, here am I, and here we are together, no one alone can end this killing spree. The powers of death pit one against another. Yet you are God, and you desire peace. As mourners, prophets, laborers together, Give us the strength to make the killing cease. Part of me would love to just stay in the lament, but I do want to share a few words on our scriptures today with this prayer we have offered together in our hearts. The words will be fewer and more focused than they would have been had I never heard of Parkland, Florida. They also feel more urgent and focused because I have heard of Parkland, Florida. Our texts from the First Testament during Lent this year each have to do with covenants, promises made by God and humans in relationship with one another, promises that can't be contained. (laughs) This is how I was ministered to when I walked into the sanctuary this morning and saw the work of our visual artists giving us a promise that is just going to burst through can try to slam the door on it, and we can't. Today's story from Genesis includes the very first covenant in the Bible. It's the very first one we encounter. And it's full of redundancies. It's a 
little bit of a chore to read it, frankly. Amy did a beautiful job. But it got me thinking as I was reading it and just feeling the redundant repetition of it. Why this ridiculous amount of repetition? Why does something get repeated over and over and over and over again? And in my home, repetition has something to do with training. Many of you know I'm married to an actor. So when he's repeating a thing over and over and over again, it's because he's in training. He's memorizing, yes, but he's training himself how to respond within a play's narrative. He's training his instincts and internalizing a particular message, a narrative, a dialogue. So when he's on stage, when he's on stage under hot, bright lights, perhaps noticing people he knows in the crowd, some of you, perhaps getting distracted by that, perhaps feeling nerves. When all of that is coming at him, he doesn't have to think about his lines or his movements because they're in him, and he can trust the repetition and the training. It's all there. Often repetition has to do with training, with training instincts, so that when stress or opposition or crisis hits, those trained instincts, those internalized messages, those repeated ideas will be available. And what's being repeated in this Genesis story is the covenant I'm making with you and with your descendants after you and with all creation and with every living creature and with all flesh. And I'm establishing this covenant. I'm putting the sign. It's for you and every living creature and all flesh. And I'm making this covenant. It's over and over and over again. This is the first covenant that God makes in the Bible. And God's covenant is with all flesh, with every living creature, with all creation, with the whole earth. It's as though in describing this covenant, God is training humanity's instincts and perhaps even God's own instincts. There's a repetitive training here to know that God's commitment is to all the earth. Not just humans. We're going to have some human covenants coming up in the next couple of weeks, but remember this was the first. Not just humans. And certainly not one particular group of humans or certain several groups of humans, but all flesh, every living creature, all creation, the whole earth. So first, God's covenant here, the covenant that cannot be contained, the covenant, the promise that is bursting through is with the whole darn earth. And second, it's a rare biblical covenant in that it is one way. You can read it again if you must, but God isn't actually asking anything of humans in this covenant. This is not a two-way pact. This one. This is a commitment that God is making to the earth, making to all creation. And even that rainbow that's set in the sky, the rainbow that can't be contained, certainly not in the Pacific Northwest where we get a lot of rain, it's a sign of that unilateral one-way covenant that God has made. We can see it. We can see the rainbow. We can see the sign of the covenant. But the promise isn't for us. The point isn't so much for us to see it. The point is for God to see it. According to the text in Genesis, the point of the rainbow is for God to see it and be reminded. It's a reminder to God. God has set a bow in the sky to remind God never again to destroy the earth. The bow in the sky 
like a war bow, unstrung, and facing away from the earth. What caused God to destroy the earth in the waters of the flood that first time around? Now, there's all kinds of troubling things about this story, and had it been a different week, I might have dove into those. But today I ask the question, why? Why did God cover the earth with floodwaters? It was violence. That's what the text says. That's what Genesis tells us. It was humanity's violence. The whole earth had seemed to give way to complete and corrupting violence, and God was fed up. The whole earth had seemed to give way to this violence, and God was fed up with humans' propensity to violence, fed up with watching humans harm and kill one another over and over again, fed up with the senselessness of it all, and the failure of humanity to turn from its violent ways and seek the well-being of all creation. And somehow this week, I don't know that I've ever before related to the God of the flood. I relate more than I ever have to the earth-destroying God. How can you not be fed up? So God gave in to that being fed up. And after that flood experience, God made a covenant. God made a covenant that limited God. God made a covenant with all creation. All creation. Never to destroy it again. And on weeks like this one, I can see why God made a sign of the covenant, a reminder. God knew, I'm going to need to be reminded. So God remembered to refrain from responding to violence with violence. So that even when God gets fed up, which God surely does, God remembers the promise made to all of creation, a promise that will not, cannot be contained. And we, we people of that covenant, are defined by God's commitment to us in this text. And by God's commitment to all creation, of which we are a small part. Though God sets the bow in the sky to remind God to never again destroy, may we make God's words our own. Sort of like those hymn words that I claimed, though I didn't write them, I claimed them as mine. May we make these words our own. May we open the door and step into God's rainbow covenant. May we claim that same promise toward all flesh, every living creature, all the earth. May we too not destroy. May we reflect God's promises in our relationships. And instead of destruction, instead of destruction, like our teenage leaders in Florida and across the country, may we claim courage, may we claim action, may we claim change. Like our God of the rainbow, may we claim promise, may we claim life. even in the face of such violence, especially, especially in the face of such violence. May it be so. Let's sing together, church. Number 483.
O God, who gives us life and breath, 